All right, we are back. Let's do a couple more items on biology, medicine, and science. We've talked about how a lot of corporations will fund research into their products to show how healthy they are, which is why we're hearing more and more about the benefits of chocolate. But I had to laugh at the recent piece that notes that health experts are now being paid by Coca-Cola to tout it as a snack. In February, several health experts wrote online posts wrote online posts for American Heart Month, with each including a mini can of Coke or soda as a snack idea. Ben Schiedler, a Coca-Cola spokesman, compared these posts to product placement deals a company might have with TV shows. Schiedler said, we have a network of dietitians we work with. Every big brand works with bloggers or has paid talent. And yes, it's noted that other companies, including Kellogg's and General Mills, have used strategies like providing continuing education classes for dietitians, funding studies that burnish the nutritional images of their products, and offering newsletters for health experts. PepsiCo Inc. has also worked with dietitians who suggest its Frito-Lay and Tostito chips in local TV segments on healthy eating. Of course, we note that these mini cans where you get six or eight ounces are probably a good idea, uh, opposite of supersizing. There was a time in the past when you bought a Coke and it was like a six and a half ounce bottle, something like that. A far cry from the 20 ounces you get shoved down your throat these days. So uh, this is not all bad. The company looks at it as these mini cams fetching higher prices on a per ounce basis so it can grow sales. And in a related story, I had to laugh when uh, I was looking at some fluorescent lights I have in a facility that I've been interested in replacing with LEDs. An electrician came in and took a look and said, you know, some time back, all these fluorescent fixtures got changed from two bulbs, from four bulbs down to two bulbs. So there was a big fad a few years back for companies to go around and tell people, you know, we can really cut back on your energy costs. Which, of course, they can by cutting your light in half. Of course, then forcing people to get by on half the light of fluorescent fixtures. Well, that that should be a criminal offense. Speaking of light, we were sent a piece by Millie a few months back about how this upcoming solar eclipse, which took place uh, on the 20th of March, may cause trouble with the European electricity grid. It turns out a lot of countries in Europe, especially Germany, do rely on solar quite a bit. And the actual drop in solar energy that took place during the eclipse was thought to be significant. And indeed, in a follow-up in New Scientist, they note that when the sun went out, the light stayed on. The partial solar eclipse in Europe uh, provided an an ideal stress test for the the world's most solar-powered country, Germany, and for the future of solar power itself. Article notes that Germany gets about a quarter of its power from solar and wind, but of course that solar power varies with the intensity of sunshine. An eclipse really creates special problems because of the rapid changes in the amount of sunlight. The Germans planned for this, though. They compensated with power from hydroelectric and gas-fired plants. And just to make sure they could cope, the country cut off electricity demand uh, by turning off four power-hungry aluminum plants. As we transition between public affairs and music, I want to I wanna compliment Presto Pancakes for putting up with the fact that sometimes I, we impinged a minute or two on his show. He was always very nice about it. And this was especially a, a generous offer because uh, he himself was frequently preempted by sports, something that's kind of unavoidable. But I did want to give him a chance to, I want to give just a makeup for the lost time by inviting him onto Radio Parallax. And so it's my pleasure to say, welcome to the program, Presto Pancakes. Thanks for having me. And as a reiteration for people, uh, what what is your? How would you summarize your style of music? 
Um, I would say that I try to play a lot of current music, but I'll also play um, influences of bands that have influenced the current music I'm playing. So the genres I stick to are like garage rock, surf punk, and math rock. Yeah, I did get a, a bang out of some of your surf uh, surf music. That was a lot of fun driving home. Yeah, and I play like a more current breed of surf music. It's it's less traditional, the Ventures and Beach Boys, and there's there's more of a kind of a punk attitude to it. Uh, bands I really like in that genre are Manor Astro Man and the Hypnomen, and the Surf Punks kind of started going in the more punk direction of surf music. Still influenced by Dick Dale and and bands like that. Well, you know, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. There was a time when uh, when I was listening to NPR, and they were explaining how Dick Dale put together Miserloo just from, from some Lebanese music he'd heard as a boy. And mm-hmm. and by God, I called up uh, Gil Metavoy, and we had a wonderful chat about that and other stuff. So it's great to uh, have these kind of resources in the musical department here at KDVS. There's a lot of good resources down there and a good place to start for, for genres. You play math rock, and I don't really know what that is. What, what is that? Uh, well, math rock, yeah, it's kind of a complicated genre. Um, it's it's described as a rhythmically complex style of experimental rock and indie rock music that really emerged in the late 80s, um, influenced by progressive rock bands, kind of like King Crimson. Um, and it's characterized by complex, atypical rhythm structures, counterpoint, odd time signatures, angular melodies, and extended, often dissonant chords. That's the Wikipedia definition. But there's a there's a lot of different styles these days. Um, it's it's kind of branched out from there. Early bands include Don Caballero and Breadwinner, which I highly recommend checking them out. Okay. But my my favorite math rock band that I would characterize as being essential math rock is the Sacramento band Hella. Okay. They're a two piece guitars and drums, and their very first album, Hold Your Horses is just an amazing piece of of math rock music. It really sets the genre apart like with that album. And I take it you yourself uh, know something about music because you in fact are a musician yourself. I am indeed. My mother actually kind of pushed me towards being a musician at an early age, having me take piano lessons in 5th grade and in 7th grade she had this great idea of me becoming a drummer. I don't know what parent really wants their kids to grow up to be a drummer. That is odd. <laughs> but she picked me up from school one day and said, hey, would you like to learn the drums? I was like, yes, I would. That sounds incredibly awesome. I love that. I, it speaks to me. Wow. I love to play the drums. And she said, well, to pay for it, why don't you get yourself um, a paper route? And so in the same day, I got a paper route and I started learning the drums. And it was a nice little deal. That's a red-letter day. By the way, that gives me a chance to insert the joke. You know what you call a drummer without a girlfriend, right? What's that? Homeless. <laughs> I rendered you speechless. I got no comment on that one. <laughs> well, in the band, do you play the drum? You, you, you've switched over from piano to being a, a drummer now, I guess. I only played the piano for about a year, but it definitely is a good bass to have in, for any musician. All right. Are you, you going to play Picnic Day? Yeah. Actually, this is the first Picnic Day I've played. Uh, with my band Casimir Bluk. We're okay. playing the main stage at 4 p.m. How exciting. It's great. Yeah, I've played the Holer Festival before, and last year we played the KDVS Music Festival, Operation Restore Maximum Freedom. So I'm kind of completing 
the whole festival circuit here by playing Picnic Day. Well, good for you. I know that a tremendous amount of effort goes from the music DJs into the Operation Restore Maximum Freedom. It's what it's like. It's like it's the 12th time now. I don't know. I lose track, but it's it's been uh, quite a, quite an, an effort expended on that every year. Yeah, it's a big project done by the volunteer staff. Yeah, so it's a lot to take on, and they make it happen. Kudos to the volunteer staff for doing that. that I'm sure that's a hell of a job. Now, I'm not a music DJ, but we did start up today's program complimenting uh, Herb Alpert. And he outsold the Beatles back in 1966. It's hard to believe. Does the younger generation, and I guess you, I'm asking you to represent them, uh, know much about this guy? I know a little bit. And I, w- I would say the majority of my knowledge comes from watching The Simpsons. <laughs> there was an episode where they were playing um, Spanish Flea and Homer is making up lyrics to it. Like really silly lyrics. That's basically my introduction to her puppers. <laughs> I had no idea. Uh, you won't be following me, I guess, in spring quarter, but you're not going away. Where, where, where can folks find you on the dial here at KDVS? I've moved to prime time. I've <laughs> got Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. following Boo Radley's House of Disco. All right. Well, people, I'm sure will look you up there, uh, presto, and uh, come again. Thanks so much for having me. That just about does it for today's program. Our thanks to James Israel of the Humor Times, our old pal, Mr. Will Durst, and Presto Pancakes, whom you'll be hearing on Wednesdays now at 8 p.m. I'm sure you're going to want to listen into that. This program was produced by Edward McMillan, as, of course, they all are. Next week's show, we expect to hear from Joe Rubin, freelance investigative journalist for National Public Radio, the Sacramento News and Review, and more. He's doing some good work out there, and we're keen to have him talk about it. We'll see you then. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. Parallax.